0: Obviously, today being Resurrection Sunday, the day Jesus, the day we celebrate Jesus rising from the dead, we're going to be uh, looking at the resurrection and what it means to us. You know, just before church today, I heard some sad news, and yet, when you think about it, it's happy news, and I'll explain it in a moment, but in Sri Lanka, I don't know if you heard about it, the Christian church was attacked, and so far we know over 400 are dead. And... Uh, and you think about it, Christians really pose no problem in whatever nation they're in. They're not troublemakers. They're not radical. They're not going around trying to hurt anyone or trying to tear down governments. And yet, wherever Christians are, they're hated. There's a great persecution, many people aren't aware of, it going on in China right now. Christians are being imprisoned, tortured, put to death. But when we think of These Christians all over the world, like the 400 who just died in Sri uh, Sri Lanka, why would they follow a faith that is going to bring so much persecution and even death? You want to know why? Because they not only believe, they know there's a resurrection. Because when we die, we continue to live. This body, in a sense, is is like a, a biological machine. You know what I'm saying? We have a skeletal system that holds us upright, and muscular system, you know, I'm not... But anyway, we're, we're we're like a machine. But yet, who we are is immaterial. Not this material body. Who we are is immaterial. And that's what the Bible calls our soul and spirit. And there is something within us that is much deeper than this physical nature. And that's the reason every religion that you can read about has some kind of afterlife. In other words, they understand that when the body dies, we don't die. But Christianity is the only faith that truly teaches us about the resurrection and what it means, and not only teaches us about it by writings on the page, but teach us about it by the actual physical resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because as believers... If we die physically right now our soul and spirit goes to be with the Lord and that's awesome but God has also promised a bodily resurrection as it was with Jesus Christ and for we as believers it takes place during what is called the rapture taken from the latin word raptos which means to be caught up in the air And 1 Corinthians gives a detailed explanation of what happens when the rapture occurs and we receive our resurrected bodies. And even those who have died in Christ before the rapture, their soul and spirit are with the Lord. It tells us in 1 Thessalonians that Jesus brings with him those who have fallen asleep in him, and yet it talks about the dead in Christ being raised first. So in other words... The dead in Christ, their bodies are raised from the grave, and they're going to meet with their soul and spirit, and they're going to have a glorified body. Yes, there is going to be a glorified body. And everything that we saw Jesus doing, or we read about what Jesus did after the resurrection, we'll be able to do. And it's interesting that when uh, Jesus met with his disciples after the resurrection, he uh, they, they, got, they were frightened. They said, oh, it's a ghost, it's a spirit. Here he is. He, he, he was crucified. Jesus said something very interesting. He said this. He said, you know, if he was dead, then he said, there would, be no, there would be no blood. The blood would be stagnant in me. But he said, flesh and bone. He talked about the fact that when he was risen up, there was no blood because Scripture tells us the life of a man is in his blood. And if we don't have blood circulating, we're dead. No matter how healthy all the other organs of our body are, we would have to have blood circulating through it. But in our resurrected bodies, there is no blood because we're going to have a spiritual body. Corinthians talks about the fact there's a physical body and there's a spiritual body. The physical comes first and it says, and then the spiritual. And so it's a beautiful thing to think about the resurrection of Christ. And, um, you know, we have this, we call it Easter Sunday. This is a particular day of the year that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the reality is we should be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ every day in our heart. Because he's alive, so we live as well. I'm going to read to you a couple of... um, ...quotes on the resurrection. The first one I'm going to read is taken from the Fundamental Evangelical Association magazine. Now listen to this. The resurrection also assures us of the power needed to live a victorious Christian life... ...right now in the flesh. And then they use Ephesians one nineteen and 20. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. There will never be any trial too great, any burden too heavy, or any temptation too strong. The same power that raised up Jesus is available to all who believe as we learn to trust him more and ourselves less. Think about that, as we learn to trust him more And ourselves less. He will be able to display daily His mighty power in our lives. Isn't that a beautiful quote? Then this is a quote from Erling C. Olson, and he says this. Whoever reads the New Testament seriously or gives thought to the impact which the apostles made upon their generation must must acknowledge the one outstanding historical event alone spurred that small band of ordinary men to an amazing task of evangelization in their generation. Defying every obstacle, loss of home, persecution, or even death itself— They evidence the supreme relevance in their ministry of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not only essential for our faith, but it's also essential for the Christian life that we live in this world as we display as a testimony to those around us who Jesus is. He has risen from the dead, and we're saved. Saved from what? Sin and death. We're going to be with the Lord forever. So without the resurrection... Think about it. Our faith has no substance or hope. Because, really, consider this. If after this life you just died, that's it. If after this life you just fell down and there's nothing else, then what's the purpose of faith? Why not, you know, eat, drink, and be merry? Why not live life to the fullest? And all these euphemisms we hear all the time. Why not just do whatever we want to do? Because there is something innately within us that says this life isn't the end. And so the reality is there's a desire within us to live in such a way that we're going to have the resurrected life that the Bible teaches about. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart, your cardia, your inner man, literally within your inner man, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, listen to this, You will be saved. Not you might be saved, or you should be saved. It says you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from it all. Saved from sin. Saved from death. Saved from, you know, all the persecutions we might face in this world. And what a beautiful thing it is to have full salvation, as the old timers used to call it. Now, some believe, in fact, Pastor Frank, Junior made the point point in the first service that if you went to a lot of clergymen and you said to them, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they would say no. And I'm not going to offend anyone by sharing quotes with you from, I'm talking about what would be considered Christian uh, seminaries. But when they they were actually doing a survey of its students, it was like 40 or 60 somewhere, it was some high numbers, some were 40, some were 60, depending on the college they went to, did not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet they're training to be pastors. They're training to be ministers. How sad is that? Because the resurrection is essential for our faith. It is a statement of our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because here's one of the things that I know. If I fell down dead right now in front of you, it would shock you. (laughs) <laughs> you know, some of you might cry I, I but anyway if I fell down dead in front of you the one thing that I have absolute assurance of is it's only my body that fell down dead I'm going to be with the Lord I'm going to be taken up and be with the Lord forever what a promise that is I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Pastor Frank Jr. tried to steal this portion from me this morning but I'm going to, I'm going to get right on it anyway First uh, Corinthians 15, and go to verse 12. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? In other words, what Paul is saying is, as he's writing to the church at Corinth, he said. We wrote to you, we preached to you that Jesus rose from the dead. It's a fact. This is essential for our faith. And he said, how is it then that there are some of you that don't believe that? You don't believe he rose from the dead. Verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. Scripture tells us he was the first fruit from the dead. And if there's a first fruit, what does there have to also be? A second fruit, a third fruit. We are the extra fruit from the dead. We might be fruity, but we're the extra fruit from the dead. Christ is is not risen. Verse 14. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. Why even stand up here? And your faith is also empty. Why be here? Yes. And we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. In other words... They would be giving false testimony if, if they were preaching, Christ has been raised from the dead, if he really wasn't. <clears throat> if, in fact, the dead do not rise. And then it goes on in verse 16. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. Now listen to this. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins, because he died for our sins and rose for our, our redemption. Verse 18 all, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. So we don't only have hope in this life. We have hope in the life to come. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. That's what Paul wrote to us. And if we're born again of the Spirit, and God is working through us, to minister to other people. It's all based on our belief in the resurrection and the power of the resurrection that is ours by the Holy Spirit. Because remember, Jesus said He would rise from the dead, He would go to be with the Father, and He would send to us His Holy Spirit. And His Holy Spirit dwells within us. Turn with me to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 and verse 1. And... The point I'm going to be bringing out here is we're going to see that we're going to see a miracle that Almighty God worked through the Apostle Peter in healing a lame man. And when the lame man uh, is questioning, you know, Peter and John who were together going into the temple, Peter made the point. He said, we're doing this because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You know, you're not being raised for any other reason than the Lord Jesus Christ. So, follow this account along with me in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms, in other words, offerings, uh, from those who entered the temple who seen, in other words, this paralyzed man, when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said to us, Look. And Peter says to, to, said to him, Look at us. So he, the lame man, gave them, Peter and John, his attention, expecting to receive something from them. You know, so often what we're asking for is not what we need. Have you ever noticed that? The Lord knows what we need. And we oftentimes ask for for whatever it might be. And that is not that is not what we need. We need something else. And so this paralytic, he's looking at at Peter and John going into the temple, and he's asking for something. I want some money in order to live by. But that, that isn't what he needed. What he needed was to be healed. And so, and we're going to see that that's exactly what happened in the name of Jesus. But the reality is, it's a good question for us to ask ourselves, how often are we asking the Lord for something and it might not necessarily be what we need? That's why it's always a very good thing within our heart to say, your will, not mine, Lord. Whatever you desire, whatever you want. You know, there are some people that go through their Christian life and the Lord just blesses, blesses them in every way. And they seem to have no problems or difficulties. And they're really strong believers and God really uses them. And there are other people that go through their Christian walk and they suffer in ways unimaginable. Things that we can't even comprehend. And yet God is also blessing people through them. He's also using them. And so we have to understand that being a Christian doesn't mean all of a sudden life's going to be perfect. It might not be. But you're going to heaven. It's the whole belief in the resurrection that's the center and the foundation of our faith. You understand what I'm saying? It's so important because I used to hate. Well, that's a strong word. I used to despise. No, I'm just joking. It used to really bother me at a lot of testimony services. Years ago, they used to have testimony services where people would come up front and talk about how they got saved. And a lot of times, this is the way the testimonial testimonial services were years years ago. They'd stand up in front of everyone and they'd say, You know what? Before I got saved, everything was bad. Everything was horrible. Nothing went my way. And now that I'm saved, everything's great and everything goes my way. And I'm obviously uh, putting it in very simple uh, explanation. But that's basically what they were saying. But the reality is, after I got saved... I still had problems. You know, when I got saved, every difficulty in my life didn't just disappear. I still had problems. I still had difficulty. But you know what the difference was? I knew that I had Jesus Christ not only in this life but in the life to come. I knew to pass from this life to the next was assured to me through Jesus Christ that I'd go to be with him in heaven. That makes such a difference. You know, you think of uh, all those believers in Sri Lanka that were just needlessly murdered. Every single one of those who believe are with the Lord Jesus Christ right now. And I guarantee you, they're not up in heaven saying, oh, wow, can you imagine they bombed us? This was a bummer. They're up in heaven, and the only thing they're able to do is rejoice and sing praises to the Lord. They're experiencing joy unspeakable. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more mourning. It's all gone because they're with Jesus. That's the hope that we have. If we don't have hope in the resurrection, we have no hope. Because none of us is guaranteed tomorrow. Right? None of us. And so it's a wonderful thing. You know, I I don't want to get off on a personal testimony, but most of you know that in in last June I had a heart attack. And the surgeon told Vi and my son Frank, the other ones who took me to the hospital, they said, if you would have waited until tomorrow, it would have been too late. But here's the point. That when I found out what was going on, and I'm in... It's actually the catheter lab, and they're putting stints in, and I'm laying there. I had no fear, because I was really thinking... Because I was, I was thinking, this might be it. And I was thinking, you know what? I'm going to be with Jesus. I mean, it made me feel bad to think what Vi and my family would be going through you know, with my loss. But I knew I was going to be with Jesus. What a beautiful thing to be in that kind of a situation and have no fear. Do you understand what a beautiful thing that is? I'm going to be with Jesus. Hallelujah. I mean, it's, it's a no-lose situation. That's why Paul said, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Where's the negative in that? There is none. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. But anyway, as we go on, in verse 5, so he gave them their attention, expecting to receive something from them. Verse 6, then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. They didn't have money. They weren't rich. But what I do have, I give to you. Listen to this. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he, and he took him by the right hand and he lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. A real miracle of healing took place. And then in verse 8, So he leaped up, stood, and walked, and entered the temple with him. Now, some of you might not realize the great miracle that's going on there. When you don't use your muscles for a while, there's a condition known as atrophy. And the muscles start wasting away. He had been paralyzed since birth. I mean, most of you aren't old enough to remember what... People look like who had polio and their legs were all atrophied and and tiny. I mean, this guy was not only healed as far as being able to walk again, but all the muscle and everything else had to have been restored because look what it tells us. He leaped up. I mean, when I get up off the chair at my age now, it's like, you know, and and after I'm up for about, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about if you're my age. When you first get out of bed in the morning, this is your first (laughs) stance. Then it's kind of like, uh, yeah, right. Then you finally get up there and you can move around. But this paralytic who'd been paralyzed his whole life got up and he leaped. And the first thing he did was go into the temple and worship with him. How amazing is that? Then if you move down to verse 8, because they were questioning him about how this man was healed. In verse 8 of chapter 4, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to the helpless man, the paralytic that they just healed, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, and understand all sinners crucified Jesus Christ. He died for our sin. Whom God, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. And here's the thing. When we're raised to new life in Jesus Christ, when we're born again, we stand up whole. And what a beautiful thing it is. You know, I was just sharing with, um, I think it was Hayward's house last night, and I was, just, I was sharing with them how, you know, here I was, I, I thought I'd arrived You know what I'm saying? I was uh, 30 or 31, I can't remember, years old. And um, I was teaching at Horseheads High School, loved my job, and married to Vine, and and, uh, Frank was maybe two years old, and our daughter Stacy was four. And and I can remember it was a Saturday, and we had our own house in the country. I mean, the American dream, right? I had a great job, house in the country, a wife and 2.3 kids. You know, it's just the American dream. And I can remember on a Saturday morning, standing in front of we had a big, huge picture window in our living room, and standing in front of the picture window, looking out and thinking, what's wrong with me? Because with all I had, there was something missing. I had a lot of joy in life, I had a lot of friends, I had a great family, a lot of happiness, but there was something missing. And what was missing was Jesus Christ. Because it was right after that that I gave my life to the Lord and was saved. And what a blessing it was. I mean, this, this sounds corny, but I remember I, I, I gave my life to the Lord and committed my, my heart and soul to Him. Lord, just use me any way You want. And the next day, I can remember waking up. It's going to sound really corny. And the grass was greener. <laughs> and the sky was bluer. You know what I mean? Everything just seemed so awesome. Why? Because my whole outlook had changed. Instead of my outlook being on me, myself, and I, and what am I going to do, and what am I going to have out of this life, and how is this life going to treat me, my outlook had completely changed. I'm a servant of the living God. Lord, how do you want to use me? Whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'll do. Just don't call me into the ministry. And uh, the Lord has a, a great sense of humor. And there's nothing I'd rather do, believe me, than be in the ministry. You know, the resurrection means also an end to corruption. Now, do you know that our bodies are corrupt? Not only in the sinful sense, but every single day, or most every single day, at least maybe we should, you get up in the morning and you go in the shower. You know why? Because we stink. And the reason we do is our body is getting corrupted every day. I don't think that's what God intended initially. I don't know. But the fact is we're wasting away i mean i look in the mirror you know as a matter of fact i put a big blanket over our bathroom mirror not really but it's a weird thing those of you who aren't this age yet some of you who are my age understand what i'm talking about and sometimes when you're my age you look in the mirror and it's like "What? what what is this what happened What happened to this magnificently tuned machine? What happened? Oh, look at me. And you realize you're getting older. You're getting corrupted. But the worst corruption you can experience is in your heart and in your soul, your soul and spirit, your inner man. That's the worst corruption you can feel. Like, oh, you know, what is life about? What what hope do I have? I'm just pathetic. But Jesus Christ... Through his resurrection, he removes all corruption. Corruption of body, soul, and spirit. In Acts chapter 13, verse 34, it says this. And that he raised him, talking about Jesus, from the dead. No more to return to corruption. Physical corruption, spiritual corruption, and eternal corruption are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And the only thing a person has to do to experience this corruption being removed is to be born again. Let me read to you from the Gospel of John. And um, what happened is Lazarus had died. And they sent word to Jesus saying, your friend Lazarus had died because they knew he had the power of of resurrection. And they said, come to the grave and you can raise Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus waited four days before he went to the tomb. And the reason he did is there was a Jewish tradition that the soul hovered around the body for three days. So if you went and you prayed for someone and they came back to life, it wasn't that big a deal because their soul was hovering around the body anyway. He waited four days specifically so that that couldn't be the case. And so anyway, he came, and Martha comes running out to him and says, Oh, Lord, if you'd been here, you know, my brother would be alive. In other words, you would raise him from the dead, because he had raised others from the dead. And that's when Jesus spoke these words to her. In John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Then he said, do you believe this? If you're born again in the Spirit, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you have him as your Lord and Savior, you will never die. Never. What a beautiful promise that is. Because though our body perish, we will be with the Lord alive and whole. And one day even our bodies will be resurrected. We have to understand that both Christ's death and resurrection were necessary for our salvation. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 25, it says, He was delivered up because of our offenses. That's why He died, for our sins. And He was raised up for our justification. So He died on the cross for our sins, and He was raised up for our justification that we also might be raised up to new life. And when we experience the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our life, in our life, we're able to serve Him more fully. Because we can do a lot of things in the flesh, but the flesh gets tired, the flesh gets discouraged, the flesh gets all kinds of emotions that deal with it. But in the Spirit, we can serve the Lord, no matter what's going on around us, no matter how difficult it, it is we still have that desire to serve Jesus. And what a beautiful thing it is when the Lord uses you to minister to others. And that's why I love in, in Romans 6, 4, it says this, Therefore, we, we were buried with him through baptism into death. You know when you're baptized, it's, it, there, it's, it, there's, it's a sacrament. Now, a sacrament is something we do outwardly to express a spiritual experience that's taking place in us inwardly. And so when we're talking about baptism, Romans deals with it right here. I'm going to read it in a moment. When you go under the water, it represents dying to Christ. And when you come up, it represents being, buried, being raised to new life in Christ by the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8:11, it says, But if the Spirit... I'm sorry, Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also, and even so, we also should walk in newness of life. And this is Romans eight eleven. But as the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. When you're filled with the Spirit, you have new life in Jesus Christ and also the resurrection is our future hope. In 1 Corinthians 6:14 it says, and God uh, and God both raised up the Lord and also raises up us by his power. That's the promise we have. And then in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, we've been here before, we're going to read verses 42 through 45. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised in spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first Adam became a living being. Listen to this. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And Adam all have fallen to sin and jesus christ all are raised to new life he is a life-giving spirit to all who believe in him and that's why i love in um still in corinthians um, verses 50 through 58 now this i say brethren that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god nor does corruption inherit incorruption behold that means pay attention i tell you i tell you a mystery We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. It doesn't tell us here that the rapture takes place in the twinkling of an eye. It says our being changed will take place in the twinkling of an eye. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when the crossable has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written Death, think about this death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I mean, think about that. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us hope, it gives us promise, and it also makes us able to serve Him right now in this life. The resurrected power of Jesus Christ by His Spirit. We're new creations, aren't we? I mean, we really are. I mean, all of us have those times as... Pastor Frank Jr. calls it those hours of self-loathing where you're laying there and you think, oh, well, I, 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 I wish I did this right. I wish I did that right. But the fact is, is you, not, you are not what you were. You aren't what you shall be. There's a verse that talks about this. You aren't what you shall be. You're going to be perfect in Christ someday. But right now, you're in that process. And when you're in that process, you're going to make mistakes. And I share this with you, brothers and sisters, to not be discouraged Because even as believers, believe me, you're going to blow it. Even as believers, you're going to fall. And sometimes your fall is going to be a total face plant. But all you have to do is cry out to the Lord Jesus, forgive me. And He will. If we, you know, John, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Lifts us up, and we're able to walk right on the path with him again. That's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. In First 1 Thessalonians 1.10, it says, talking about believers, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come. Think about that we can escape the wrath to come simply by believing in Jesus. And there is a wrath coming. I mean, all we have to do is look at the world around us and we're amazed. How could our society have decayed to this point? I mean, what we see going on as far as sin and corruption, it's unbelievable. And to realize that we're standing at the very, at the very point that the rapture is going to take place. And what's sad to me is that a lot of people, even, even Christians who believe in the rapture of the church, Jesus taking his church out of the world before the tribulation begins, even those of us who believe in it have kind of lost sight of it. We have to understand this. If you study Ezekiel 38, which lays out in detail the prophecy that would take place just before the rapture of the church, and we recognize it's about to happen, it blows our mind. Because, number one, Ezekiel 38 is all about Israel becoming a nation again. Actually, Ezekiel 35 and 36 are about Ezekiel becoming a, or Israel becoming a nation again. You Remember the valley of dry bones and the hip bone connected to the... You know that whole thing. That's, that's the valley of dry bones. And what it's about is a dead nation being raised up again. There has never, ever, ever in history been a time that a nation who was deposed from its land, deposed from its language, and scattered throughout the world for over 2,000 years, ever came back as a nation, speaking their original language. That's never happened. Like if I talk to you about the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Perizzites, the Canaanites, you're thinking, who are they? Exactly what I mean. But if I talk to you about the Israelites, you know exactly what I mean. Because what Satan meant to destroy the Jews, to wipe the Jews off the face of the earth in order to prevent prophecy from being fulfilled in what we call the Holocaust, God used as a very catalyst to make a homeland for Israel. And now Israel, they're back in their homeland as an identifiable people speaking the ancient Hebrew. If Abraham walked into Israel today, he could communicate with the people. They speak the same ancient Hebrew language. How amazing is that? So just Israel being a nation is enough of a prophecy that it should blow our minds. But Ezekiel 38 tells us that at the very end of time, just before the rapture of the church, there's going to be an attempted war on Israel. And here's what it tells us. That Russia would come and set up troops in Syria... And also, Iran, which is actually Persia, in in fact, until 1951, Iran was Persia. Persia would come in, along with Togmar, along with Turkey, and along with Libya. They would come in, into Syria, they would destroy Damascus, and eventually attack Israel. Here's the thing. Right now, Russia is in Turkey, or is in Syria. Persia, or Iran, is in Syria. And Turkey is in Syria. Did I say that twice? And, and all the nations that are described in Ezekiel 38 are in Syria right now. Damascus is basically a heap of ruins. There's almost nothing left of it. And they're preparing to come against Israel. And when they do, God is supernaturally going to intervene. And he's going to literally send fire from heaven. And either just before that or at that time, I don't know, but the church is going to be raptured out. Well, the thing is, you look at the news and you see what's happening and it blows your mind. And think of the, uh, you know, kind of, but anyway, I believe that one of the things that is distracting Christians from being aware of what's going on in the world that we should be aware of is, politics, everybody's in the Politics. You turn on the news, you have no idea what's going on in the world. It's just politics. And guess what? Politics are politics. I know what the eventual end of politics will be in this world. The Bible makes it very clear. There's going to, there is going to be a one-world government. And there is going to be a one-world ruler. And that's where we're heading for. But I don't want to study or look at politics Because it has nothing to do with what Jesus is going to do when he comes back for his church. God is still on his throne. And what the politics might be going on around us doesn't upset him at all. You know, and and that's why believers don't get caught up in politics. Because if you do, your focus is going to be off Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. And I think pretty soon. And I can't wait. So, we're not only going to escape the wrath to come upon this world, but you know what? Even right now, we escape wrath. Because as believers, it makes no difference what people say, what people are doing, what's going on. Our hope and focus is on the Lord. And so, I just encourage every one of you to understand when we talk about the resurrection, it's not just some, you know, Easter. Sunday service that we do. The resurrection is the very heart of our faith. It's the very heart of our faith. And so we have to be able to have the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in our heart. And so I really encourage you, and I'm not trying to put anyone on on the spot, make anyone feel self-conscious. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you stand up or come forward or close your eyes or raise your hand or hop on one foot. I'm not going to have you do any of that. I just want to share with you, if you've never been born again of the Spirit, do so. tells us, I just read the verse earlier, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we're born again. You know, the Pharisees were in the temple and all these wealthy men, Pharisees, were coming in, giving out of their excess, throwing money in. And, and praying with hands lifted. And there is this one sinner that came in, a tax collector who the Jews hated, with his head down, he goes, and he beat his chest, it tells us, and he said, God, forgive me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man was justified. That man was justified. So you want to have Jesus as your Lord? Jesus, forgive me, a sinner. Lord, take me into your kingdom, and he will. There's nothing difficult you have to do. Just commit your life to Jesus Christ. And so my prayer is this Resurrection Sunday that if you've never been born again, this is the day of your salvation. And we're going to be celebrating communion now. That's why they're bringing the children up. We like to have our kids with us. And what a testimony on the Lord's Day to think of communion. Because as you see on most communion tables, it has inscribed in remembrance of me. What do we remember? Jesus paid the full price. And so when we take part in this sacrament, we're celebrating what Jesus has done. He saved us. He's taken our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. And communion was never meant to be closed. In other words, you don't have to be a member of our church. One of the problems of being a member of our church is we have no membership. We don't. If you come here, you're a member. You know, If this were Jesus, you're a member. But the, the, the sacrament of communion is a beautiful thing. Because when we participate in, in the unleavened bread... Remember, it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Passover week. And unleavened, taking leaven out of bread was analogous of taking sin out of your life. And so that's why they would take all the leaven out of the house. And participating in the juice is remembering the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. So when we participate in this communion... We're recognizing the full redemption of Jesus Christ in our hearts. And so as we pass this out and as you participate in it, remember all that Jesus has done for you. And for no other reason than love. Do you understand that? Jesus never saved any of us because we deserve it. Because if we only were saved because we deserve it, how many of us would be saved? None of us. (laughs) None of us deserve it. He did it out of love. Agapeos is the Greek word that is used there. It's an unconditional love. In other words, you don't have to do anything to receive agapios love. It's just given. That's God's love for us. So if I could have my brothers come forward, we'll... was in the upper room with his disciples and they're ready to celebrate what we call communion he took unleavened bread and he broke it he said this represents my body that's broken for you we have to understand that no one forced jesus to the cross he went willingly for no other reason than love it was love that nailed him to the cross love for you love for me And that's why when we participate in this sacrament that we call call communion, it's an encouragement to our hearts and souls to recognize that our God loves us that much that he gave himself that all of our sins might be forgiven. It's such a beautiful thing. And so when he was with his disciples, he took the cup and he said, the unleavened bread represents my body. And the juice, or they use wine, represented his blood. And he gave both his body and his blood freely for you and I. And he gave the command concerning the sacrament of communion. He said, do this often in remembrance of me. Remember what Jesus did. He paid it all. He did it all. And here, before we take this communion, I just feel like the Lord's putting this on my heart to share with you. Before we take the communion, brothers and sisters, there might be some of you here who are struggling Maybe with emotions, maybe with relationships, maybe with sin in your life. Offer it up to the Lord. It doesn't mean that instantly, you know, things are going to change, but you've offered it up to Him. And if there's sin being in your life, you're forgiven. You're totally forgiven and purified and able to stand before God with holy hands lifted up. If you have relationship problems, God's going to change your heart. You can't change someone else's heart. He's going to change your heart. And if you have depression, difficulty, anything you're dealing with, to know that Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price that we might be freed, freed from all of the anxieties and temptations and all the craziness of this world. It's a beautiful thing. That's all the sacrament means, that Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. Sin had you know, painted a crimson stain. He washes us white as snow. So therefore, my brothers and sisters, take, eat, and drink, and be so thankful for what your Lord has done. Father, we thank you for this sacrament of communion. I pray your blessing upon each one here today. And I ask, Lord, that this Resurrection Sunday, this day, would be a day that they would contemplate all that you have done for them. And now, Father, dismiss us with your blessing, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And God bless you, my friends. Hope you enjoy your Easter dinner. But I don't know why you didn't invite me.